An exciting morning here. We always love uh, to just see that evidence of life change uh, through baptisms and uh, hear about, again about the great things that are happening uh, with uh, NVM Ministries. And uh, on this uh, Veterans Day weekend, uh, we also are reminded of all of those men and women who have served our country. Maybe you have some loved ones uh, that are currently serving in other places right now. And uh, with what some of uh, what we're going to talk about today, uh, if you have served, uh, you might uh, well find it to be very special and uh, to bring back some memories uh, even for you. Uh, I was reading an article uh, this past week on what's called nominative uh, determinism. Uh, that's kind of fun to say, isn't it? It kind of makes me look real smart. Nominative determinism. I've been practicing those two words all week long. But uh, it's this theory uh, that our names have the potential, uh, your name and my name, they have the potential to determine uh, the outcome of our lives. There's this NYU professor, uh, a guy by the name of Adam Alter, who studies this. And uh, his research has found that our names, that your name uh, has the power to influence uh, what we do as a future profession and uh, even our destiny. Let me show you uh, what I mean by this. I came across some examples of this this past week. There's a woman by the name of Amy Freeze. She's a meteorologist today in New York City. Uh, how about another meteorologist? There's a guy by the name of Storm Field. He's also a, a weatherman in the New York area. Uh, there's Dr. Russell Brain. Uh, he's a well-known, a famous British brain surgeon. Uh, today, there's Dr. Richard Payne, who's known for his work uh, in pain and uh, pain relief. Uh, my favorite, Dr. Lee Popwell. Uh, he's a chiropractor, and uh, it's only telling. There's Dr. Mark Pullen and Dr. Randall Toothaker. Yes, this is true. They're both dentists. Uh, there's Dr. Scott Pett and Dr. Kim Fur. They both serve as veterinarians. Uh, there's even a Dr. Zoltan Overy, and yes, he is a gynecologist. Um, we see it in the athletic world, too. If you follow baseball, you know that Prince Fielder is first baseman for the Texas Rangers. There's Scott Speed, who's a race car driver. Uh, Anna Smashanova is Israel's top female tennis player uh, right now. And there's also the Olympic hurdler, Marina Stepanova. And, uh, well, if you follow track and field, you know that the fastest man in the world today is Hussein Bolt. Now, if you still have your doubts, I mean, have you ever referred to an especially smart person as a real Einstein? You've done that before? Well, did you know that Albert Einstein was one of the smartest people that ever lived? I mean, isn't that just crazy? Just the fascinating coincidence there of those names? Uh, it's called nominative determinism. Again, it's this theory that your name will influence what you do and even what you think of yourself. Well, we're wrapping up this series today that we've been in for the last eight weeks, a series called Identity Crisis. And while I'm not sure if I really buy into this whole nominative determinism theory, um, I do believe that your personal identity and how you see yourself has a lot to do uh, with how you live. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, with chapters one through three, he basically says, hey, here's what Christ has done for you. Uh, his death and life means that you're no longer defined by your past. Uh, you're no longer defined by your reputation or your accomplishments, but Jesus, Jesus Christ, is the only one in this world who has the right to label you. And the great thing about that is if you call yourself a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus with your life, then you're in Christ. And He is your identity. And so chapters 1 through 3 are all about who we are in Christ. Uh, chapters 4 through 6 are all about how to live now uh, from that identity. And last week we talked about what it means as imitators of God uh, to live as Jesus lived. And for you and for me, I mean, what does that mean for you at your school or on your campus? 
Uh, what does it mean for you to live as Jesus lived uh, in your neighborhood right now or in your home or uh, with the people that God has put around you in your life? And uh, we're wrapping up with chapter 6 today, and if you've been reading Ephesians with us, you'll notice that we skipped right over a really important section at the end of chapter 5 on marriage, and I just want to let you know that we're going to come back to that. In fact, next week we're starting a brand new three-week series on marriage, and so we'll come back to these verses. But we're in Ephesians 6. We're wrapping this up today, and, and as the Apostle Paul writes and closes out this letter for us, we're going to discover that he has some very urgent and important instructions for those of us that say, I want to live for Christ, and I want to live in Christ in anything and everything. Let's pick it up in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 10. We've got these verses here for you on the screen too, if you want to follow along. Here's what Paul writes. He says, finally, all right, again, he's coming to the end of this letter, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. You know, Paul says right there in verse 12, he says, for our struggle, and I just want to get you thinking or even acknowledging, I just wonder how many of you feel like you're kind of in a struggle right now. You know, as you think about your life and uh, as you think about some of the things that are going on around you right now, maybe in your marriage or with your family or with your kids, uh, maybe at school, uh, maybe it has everything to do with the what if and or how's this going to play out? I mean, some of you are in the middle of that struggle right now. And reading this passage, there are a couple of things that I want to make sure that we see as followers of Christ right from the start. The first thing is this. It's in your notes. I want you to see that we are at war. Uh, as Christians and as a church, we're at war. I mean, think about it. I mean, why, why do we struggle? I mean, why is life hard? Uh, why do we experience pain and suffering? I mean, how is it that we go through times and God seems so distant or so far away? There is a war and there are battles going on in your life and around your life and my life. And the reason is that we have an enemy. All right, we have an enemy and he's an enemy that hates God and he hates you. And he has set up an army against you uh, because you are in Christ. See, the world is not the way that it should be. And and I think that even if you're here and you don't call yourself a Christian, I think you recognize that. I think you see that, that there's something here, there's something that's broken. Well, as Christians, we know that we're at war, and that means for you as followers of Jesus, that means that your kids are at war. Uh, that means that every student uh, that's here today, you're in a war, you're in a battle. Uh, it means that for every man that's ever struggled with significance, you're at war. It means for every woman who would say they ha have a challenge with their self-esteem, that you're at war, that we're in a fight today for every marriage. And because we're at war and, and because we have an enemy, it means that we will experience pain and we're going to experience trials and, and difficult times. And what we do most of the time is we always look to blame other people or we blame uh, luck or we blame circumstances. But the truth is that we have an enemy. I mean, what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but against the powers of this dark world. You see, he's pointing to this enemy. And who's this enemy? Again, it's not people. It's not your ex or it's not your former boss or coworker. Our enemy is Satan and it's his demons. And he would love nothing more than to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, 
and to destroy every cause of Christ in the world today. And we know from Scripture, we know you've heard him referred to as the devil. Uh, he's referred to as Satan, uh, the dragon, the serpent, uh, the enemy, the tempter, the murderer, the father of lies, the adversary, the accuser, uh, the destroyer, and the evil one. I mean, if you read the Bible, you're going to find Satan tempting Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, you find him in the middle in First Chronicles 21 tempting David, and he's there in Revelation where we're reminded that he will be destroyed one once and for all, one day. And for now, Satan is responsible for all the sin in the world. He introduced it. And while you and I, while we're morally responsible for our own sin, let's not point the blame too quickly, uh, Satan, uh, the enemy, bears responsibility in it too. And, and here's where we, I think, get a little mistaken by all this. Uh, uh, Satan's not just some cute little creature you know, a little red guy in a mask and with horns and a cape and a little tail. He's not some harmless musician who went down to Georgia uh, to have a fiddle off with a guy named Johnny. And uh, he's not the hapless devil that we often see pictured uh, in the far side. If you're a far side fan, if you've ever read those cartoons before, you see the guy pushing the wheelbarrow through hell, hell and, uh, you know, they say, you know, we're just not reaching that guy. I mean, he's whistling, you know, while he, he works there. Uh, Satan and his demons are real. Uh, they, they are very real, and Jesus knows he's real. I mean, so much that he referred to Satan some 25 times throughout the Gospels and, and had a personal encounter with Satan in Matthew chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul knows he's real and, and what he's capable of. Uh, the Apostle Peter, too, he wrote in First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he, he warns us. He says, hey, be alert and of sober mind as followers of Jesus. He says, your enemy, who is it? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, here's where this gets a little frightening. Uh, one recent poll found that uh, 43% of Americans do not believe in the devil today, uh, do not believe in an evil force like this. And, and I think the wisdom of C.S. Lewis is helpful. I mean, he's speaking about Christians and how we see or view the devil and his demons. He writes, he says to Christians, he says, you know, there are two equal and opposite heirs into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Basically, what he's saying is some people don't believe in Satan at all, and then there are others that look for Satan behind every rock and every circumstance today, and the truth is that he's somewhere in between. And yes, he's powerful, but let's not give him more credit than he deserves because he's not God, and his power is limited and we know from Scripture that God has allowed him to exist and to maintain some level of influence for this time and in this season. And until Jesus returns, where Satan will be destroyed once and for all, Satan and his demons in this age continue to wage war against every one of us. And uh, he fights with things like deception. And he wants to get you believing that you've lost or... Uh, that you're nothing more than a disappointment to God or that you're never going to amount to anything. I mean, he wants to get you mixed up in sin. He wants to make your marriage miserable, and he'd love to get you believing that your relationship with the Lord is unnecessary. And so as Christians, we have to acknowledge that we have an enemy. What Paul is saying is, hey, as followers of Jesus, for those of you that are in Christ, you have an enemy, and he's waged war against us. But can I tell you the good news? Just as we have an enemy, we have a king. All right, the good news is that we have a king, and his name is Jesus, and because of what he's accomplished for us on the cross, we're not fighting for victory as Christians, we're fighting from victory. 
We're fighting from this place of victory. Look at how John writes it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. He says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, for those of us that are in Christ, the one who is in you as Christians is greater than the one who is in this world. He's talking about Satan here. Over in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, he says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. He says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, Jesus won the battle when he gave his life on the cross and when he rose from the dead. And because of the Holy Spirit that he has put in those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, he is able to give us everything that we need uh, to fight for our lives and to fight for our friends and to fight for our children and, and marriages. And most importantly, he can give us the strength. Our strength, your strength in this life comes from Him, and He can give you the strength to keep up the faith and to keep your hope and to keep your eyes on Jesus. And so that's what Paul has in mind as he shares these last words to his friends in Ephesus and to you and me today. Let's pick it up again in verse 10 as we keep these things in mind. What does he say? He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Break it down. Paul says, hey, allow yourself. You can't do this on your own. All right, he says, allow yourself to be continually strengthened by the power made available to you in your new position in Christ. How do we find our strength in the Lord? Paul's about to get very specific for us. In verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God. We're going to talk about what that means in a moment. He says, so that you can take your stand against the devil and his schemes. You know, that verb put on means to continually put on. All right, it's not a once and done sort of thing. It's a reminder that God will provide for you and for me the spiritual protection that we need to do battle with Satan and his demons in this world. But we have to make the daily decision, a moment-by-moment -moment decision to put on the tools that God has provided for us. Again, it's not a once and done thing. It's something you must repeatedly do if you want to be ready to go to battle with Satan. And in verse 12, uh, Paul reminds us again that our, our conflict is with Satan and his army, that Satan wants to destroy us and to take away our identity in Jesus. But thankfully, what he's showing us is that there's a way. There's a way for you and for me to take our stand against him. And that's what Paul outlines starting in verse 13. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Paul basically says just, hey, in the reality and response to the reality of this warfare, take up the whole armor of God. He reminds us that that armor is ready for us. God has prepared it for us. He will give you the tools that you need in your life, but you have to take it. You have to make the decision to take that. Paul says the day of evil will come. He's talking about those daily battles that you're up against right now. Those daily battles that you'll be up against tomorrow or later on this week, they're going to come. These are the battles that are waged against us. And some of you know these battles and you know them very well because maybe that battle for you right now is in your marriage or it has something to do with your, your children or uh, maybe it has something to do with your past or uh, your current financial situation. Uh, you know, maybe you're a student and as the end of the semester approaches, you're already thinking to the second semester, but you have no idea how you're going to pay uh, for that second semester. Paul says, hey, here's what I want for you. He says, I want you to stand. He says, I want you to stand firm. And in ancient times, you know, those standing after the battle were the victors, the victorious ones. And the truth and the confidence that we have is that Jesus wants to give us victory because he has the victory 
And he wants us to live from that victory. And from now, that means that we do battle, but we do battle from that victory. And so he points out for us just very specifically, here are the tools that God has provided for you. Let's look at these together. How do we stand? How do we take up the whole armor of God each day? The first thing is this. Is he says to take on the belt of truth. He calls it the belt of truth. Ephesians uh, 6.14, Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. What does a belt do? Keeps your pants up, right? I mean, it's pretty important, all right? I mean, it's an important uh, piece of the armor. I mean, for a soldier, uh, even more so, the belt was critical uh, to the rest of the armor. I mean, the belt was central because all of the armor was connected to the belt. And, and the fact is, the truth is that as the belt is foundational to the soldier's armor, truth for you and me, for those of us that are in Christ, is the foundation of our lives as followers of Jesus. I mean, it has to be our starting place. And that, that's important. I mean, when you consider the fact that Satan is the father of lies, I mean, it's what he does. He lies. He is full of lies. And if you believe his eyes, then you're going to be more and more tempted to disbelieve the truth that is found in God and his word. I mean, think about it. I mean, Satan's lies don't have to be true in order to be powerful, right? I've experienced that. When we believe his lies and we allow those lies to influence. I mean, think about the impact those lies have on your life and how they, they influence the way you see yourself or the way that, that you live or respond. I mean, Satan's message to the world is that there's no such thing as truth. And if there is no such thing as truth, then everyone is left on their own to decide what is right and wrong. And because of it, there's no real compass for how we should live. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said in John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And Scripture reminds us that all God's words are true and that if you know the truth, it'll what? Set you free. It will set you free to live. I mean, truth for us comes from God. And Satan wants to get us believing that God's Word is nothing but an ancient, outdated book and that we're smart enough to figure these things out, to navigate our own way. But as we prepare for battle as followers of Jesus, for those of us that are in Christ, we must train our minds to look to God and to look to His Word. He must be the source of our truth. You know, I, uh, I got to do something uh, this summer that I had never done before. I went uh, salmon fishing uh, back the 1st of August and went way up in uh, northern Michigan to Ludington, uh, right off the coast of Lake Michigan uh, with my father-in-law. And uh, it was my father-in-law, two of his brothers, and a nephew. And uh, we got on a boat about 5.30 in the morning, this chartered boat, and went out about a mile, mile and a half off of shore and uh, got in place, and we went, well, salmon fishing for about six hours. Anybody ever done salmon fishing or fished for steelhead or anything like that? A few of you around the room uh, know what I'm talking about. I got a picture here of my trophy. Uh, you can see uh, uh, one of the steelhead, uh, well, the only steelhead, the only fish that I caught uh, that day. But I look like I could do a fishing show, don't you think? I mean, don't, don't, don't I like I have it in me? But uh, anyways, it was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, we had a great time out there together. I think we caught nine or ten uh, fish between us. I mean, it's really a thrill. I mean, you get one of these things on the line and to watch it come up out of the water, and then you could spend the next 15, 20 minutes easily in just this tug of war contest and all of this work to get the fish in the boat. Well, here's what I figured out a couple of hours into the morning. I figured out that I had really nothing to do with the success of catching fish or not because for us, we had these two guys that, well, they owned the boat and they were really doing all the work. And if you've done this before, you know that we had probably 14 or 15 lines in the water at one time, all at different depths, all with different bait. 
And so for us, for us five guys who are just there for the experience, you wait, and then somebody shouts out, fish on the line, and if it's your turn, they hand you the pole, and if they see you're struggling, if they see that you're going to miss out on a fish, they'll take it from you and work it a little bit more. And so it was a little... Well, it was just a little defeating uh, to know that I was just there for the ride and for the money uh, involved uh, with it too. But, you know, the, the, the truth for us is that the enemy is a lot like a fisherman who baits his hook with whatever he thinks might be desirable in your life. And I think we got to be reminded that in our case, uh, he's clever. And so that bait for you and for me, it could be with things like sex and money and power and pleasure and fame or comfort. I mean, anything that could get us to take our eyes off of God. I mean, Satan's goal is for you and me, it's to take the bait. And if we take the bait without seeing the hook and that hook gets a hold of us in our lives, well, then he's in control. And, and the trouble that we have is that once we have the hook, you know, then he's got the control. Paul tells us the second piece of armor is to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Ephesians 4, 6.14 says, Stand firm then again with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. See, the breastplate was made out of leather or bronze or chain meal. And what does the breastplate protect? It protects your heart. Uh, protects your vital organs. I mean, no soldier would dare go into battle without this piece of equipment. And for us, this piece of armor is all about guarding our heart and mindfully setting our hearts on living for Jesus uh, each day. See, if you're in Christ, you've been made righteous. Uh, by the death of Jesus, I mean the blood of Jesus, that means that you've been set free, that you and I, that we can live for him in all of our choices. And because he, God gave his life for us, he wants us to do the same for him as we give our lives for him. And so I, I just want to say to you today that if you've got sin in your life right now, um, quit excusing that sin. You know, because Satan might have you, he, he might have you on by that hook, and, and it's time that you fight it. And ask the Lord to give you the strength to overcome and defeat that sin in your life and to put on this breastplate of righteousness each day as you live and fight for Him. The third piece of armor he describes is what he calls the shoes of the gospel. Ephesians 6.15, he says, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. See, the gospel is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ and your faith in Him, He saved you. And he rescued you, and he's given you a new name and a new identity. And I just love the visual piece of this armor. I mean, in Paul's day, uh, these Roman shoes were special shoes that had uh, studded soles or had nails that extended uh, from the bottom of them, kind of like track spikes. And so if you can imagine the importance of these, I mean, these shoes allowed the soldier to march quickly and as they marched to grip into the ground and to stand firm as necessary. And in the same way, you and I need that sort of grip uh, we need that sort of bound, balance and foundation for us to help us stay grounded. The gospel does that for us. The good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's the most powerful weapon that you have. I mean, the gospel is the truth that Jesus died for you, that he washed away your sins, and that you've got new life in him. And I mean, it's a reminder for me that my identity is in him. And that means that no matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens to me on this earth, I know that I have victory in Jesus. I mean, I can fight knowing what he thinks of me and what he's done for me. 
and what he can do for me. And it also means that, that for you and me that we share the good news. I mean, part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus is that we're a part of this ground war. And, and so his love is all over our lives and it makes a difference for us and it can make a difference, we believe, for others. And so as soldiers, as followers of Jesus, we share the good news. I mean, he's sending you out every day to live for him and to tell your story about what Jesus is doing in your life and to share that good news with others. Piece number four is the shield of faith. Verse 16, he says, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith that w- with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, a good soldier, any soldier needs a, uh, a shield, needs this uh, protection in the form of a shield. And a shield then was this uh, oval piece Uh, approximately two feet wide and four foot tall. It was made of wood or leather uh, with some metal attached to it, especially around the edges. And sometimes the shield was soaked in water so that it could extinguish uh, flaming arrows. And Paul says for us, he says, I want you to take the shield of faith, to take your faith, which just means absolute dependence on God. I mean, it's a willingness to do whatever he tells or commands us to do I mean, Paul knows that for you and me and for these people, I mean, we're going to come under attack from Satan. I mean, he's going to haunt you with regrets from your past. He's going to come at you uh, and remind you of the labels that others have attached to you. He's going he's to dig up old memories in your marriage and uh, throw them in your face from time to time. I and mean, we're going to come up against these accusations and, and, and doubts and fears and circumstances. And Paul describes all of these, these, these strikes uh, from Satan as flaming arrows. But see... The hope that we have is that if we're in Christ, we have faith, we have this shield of faith, and again, it's absolute dependence on God and His Word and the identity He's given to us. And so that means that when Satan comes up against you with things like temptation and doubt and wrath and lust and vengeance and fear, we just hold up our faith. We hold up our trust uh, as our form of protection. And what's the victory that conquers the world? Well, John says it like this in 1 John Uh, 5-4, he says, the conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. See, faith gives us the strength to stand up against Satan and his attacks. Verse uh, Number five is the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, what does a helmet do? It keeps your noggin safe, right? I mean, you gotta you gotta protect that thing. I mean, it protects your head, it protects your brain or your mind. I mean, helmets then were made of leather or brass or iron, and no sword could pierce uh, a good helmet. Uh, in the Old Testament, Isaiah fifty nine seventeen describes God as wearing the helmet of salvation too. Uh, it's our reminder that our salvation is from Him. Uh, it comes from Him. And notice how Paul says to take. The helmet of salvation, notice how he words this. I mean, that means that for a dressed soldier uh, that was ready for battle, one of the last things the soldier would do is to willfully take their helmet and their sword from their armor bearer. And in the same way, uh, we have to take and put on this helmet of salvation from the only one who can offer us salvation. That's from God himself. I mean, my helmet, you know, my salvation reminds me that while I'm at war, you know, that while we're at war, I, I have a king, I have Jesus Christ, and, and victory is found in him. And so I'm not fighting for victory, but I'm fighting from this place of victory. And when I take into account, you know, what he's done for me, I'm reminded that it's not about what I prove, it's not about my uh, success rate, um, so that God will be pleased with me. It's all from him. 
See, Jesus Christ won my salvation, and He paid the price for my life, and I can live for Him. And some of you need to think on this because I believe that there might be some of you here today, and what Satan is doing is he's put these thoughts in your mind that you're not good enough or that it's not real or that you can't get baptized until you get things cleaned up a little bit more. And I just want you to know that those, those thoughts aren't from God. Those are from, from Satan and his attack because the truth is that God loved you and he loved you so much that he sent his son die to you and salvation and forgiveness are from him. And it's by grace that you're saved. You know, and, and the next move for you in your life is to admit that you need God and to receive that gift that he wants to offer you and that he is offering to you. And for some of you, you just need to know that it's available to you today, this gift of salvation, and you need to take it, but you have to take it. And you have to put this on and you have to take salvation for yourself as it's a gift from God for you. Number six is the sword of the Spirit. It's Scripture for us. The Bible, verse 17 again, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Again, salvation is God's gift for us. The Bible is His gift for us too. It's His gift for you. I mean, like the helmet... We have to take it. We have to willingly take it and apply this to our lives. You know, of all the armor that Paul describes here, this is the only offensive weapon that's described. Everything else is defensive. Uh, the sword is the only offensive weapon. And for the Roman soldier in this day, this sharp sword, this smart sword, was one of Rome's greatest inventions. I mean, it was a very useful uh, tool, a perfect weapon uh, for any sort of surprise attack. And for us, the Bible is our offensive weapon. Now, that doesn't mean that I recommend you go around hitting people upside the head uh, with your Bible, although there are some people that could probably use a good hit upside the head uh, sometimes. That's not what he's saying, but what he is saying is it's, it, it doesn't need defending like an ancient artifact, but what we need to do is we need to wield it, and we need to wield it high. And as followers of Jesus, I, I can't encourage you enough to take the Word of God into your life and to read it and to believe it and to apply it and to proclaim it in the battles that you face and the different situations you find yourself in. I mean, Jesus did. I mean, when he found himself up against Satan in the wilderness, I mean, what was his weapon of choice? It was the Word of God. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of the importance of this Word of God for our lives in Hebrews 4.12 when he says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And Paul says, take it. Take up the helmet of salvation and put it on in your life. And take the sword of the Spirit and use it and apply it and proclaim it each day. That's the armor that Paul tells us to take on, but there are two more things in this passage that as we wrap up this study in Ephesians that I believe are really critical for us uh, in the battle before we close. Verse 18, Paul says, and as you do these things, pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions uh, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. See, what's most important for any soldier that's fighting together with others well, if you've served, you know that communication is a very vital piece. And so Paul says for us, he says, hey, you got to keep on praying. you got to stay in constant communication with the Father because He loves you and He wants to spend time with you and He wants to hear your prayers and your requests and He has what you need. I mean, if you and I, if we need any more um, indication of the importance of prayer, I mean, just look to the life of Jesus. 
I mean, if you read through the Gospels over and over again, what's Jesus doing? He was always praying. He was always retreating to pray. He was always going in the morning to spend time alone with his Father. And so my challenge for you is a challenge that we've been extending all year long. If you're not currently doing this, set an appointment every single day and spend time alone with the Lord in prayer. Every day. Now, I can't challenge you enough to start your day with prayer, uh, to pray throughout your day. When you're feeling tempted by sin, to pray. I mean, when you sense that worry is coming on in your life, to pray. And when you need strength for battle, and we all need strength for this battle of life, to pray. And the second, the final thing that we see before Paul closes here is just his encouragement to stand firm. Paul just says, I I can't encourage you enough. Life's not easy. It's hard. You're going to go through these battles, but as you do, he says, keep standing. Paul just says, stand firm. You know, at least four times in these 10 verses, Paul urges us to stand firm, to take a stand. And, you know, it's a military term in this Greek language that Paul is writing with, this term to stand. I mean, it, it simply means to hold the line, to hold the line, no matter what it takes. Paul says, don't give in. No matter what you face, be strong, not in your own strength, but in the strength that comes from heaven. But keep on standing. Stand firm and hold the line. And so maybe for some of you today, uh, maybe you should think about what this means in your life. Um, When you feel those troubles of the world closing in on you, I guess my encouragement for you today is keep standing. Hold the line. You know, I think the Apostle Paul would say to us today, if you feel like you're in a place right now where you, you just can't love your husband anymore, you can't love your wife anymore, or you acknowledge that your marriage is in trouble, I think Paul, he, he would say to us, Jesus would say to us, stand the line, hold the line, stand firm. Um, and when you're at a place when you feel lonely all the time or you feel depression kind of creeping in, uh, his encouragement for us is take up this armor that Paul describes I believe that what God has for us today is he would say, hey, hold the line, stand firm, victory is yours. And when you're facing sickness and when you're facing uh, discouragement, if you're facing family conflict right now or job loss, financial troubles or temptation to sin, I can't encourage you enough today to hold the line and to stand firm. And don't forget that you're at war and that we have an enemy that is doing battle with us. But most importantly, we have a king, you have a savior, and he died for you, and we have victory in him. And that means that as we live this life, we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory as we stand and as we hold the line. And here's what I want to do as we wrap up today. I I just want to acknowledge maybe, I want to give you the opportunity uh, to acknowledge, and I know that this might be humbling uh, for some of you. Um, but I also know that, and I've heard some of the stories I've been able to share and pray with some of you that maybe you're at a place today where in a very real way you would acknowledge that you're doing battle right now in your life. And you know what it is. And what I want to do for you this morning and what I want us to do as a church is we want to pray for you. If you're just at a place of desperation and knowing that you're in the battle and you want to seek the Lord's help today so that you can stand firm and hold the line. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you just stand right now if that's you? 
I'm not going to ask you to share. We're not going to pass the mic around. You don't have to tell the story. We've got some people that are standing up all around the room, but just as a way of humbling yourself and standing today and acknowledging that I'm in the middle of the battle and I need help and I believe that my strength comes from the Lord, just stand wherever you are. We're going to pray together. I want to pray for you. Just stand uh, where you are at your seat right now. Again, it's just a way of acknowledging that I'm in the battle but victory is mine through Jesus Christ. And so um, I want to pray for you. Let's, uh, let's pray together as a church. And I want to pray Paul's prayer and his encouragement uh, for us today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for all of these men and women and the students that are standing right now that are recognizing, acknowledging that they are in the battle and that they need help today help that comes from heaven. And the wonderful truth and good news that we have is that when we turn to you, Lord, you've promised to give us everything that we need to do battle and to hold on to and to to put our arms around the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And so I'm praying that over these people today. And God, I pray that you would honor their prayers and their humility and their surrender as they come before you with open arms to say, Lord, I need help and strength in you and from you today. And I pray these words over us. I pray that we would be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Lord, I I pray that we would put on the full armor of God so that we could take a stand against the devil's schemes as we recognize that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're putting on the full armor of God today and each day so that when the day of evil comes, we will stand. And after everything, to stand. And so I pray over you right now that you would stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, I pray that you will take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, that you will take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I pray that in all things, that you will pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests, that you will be alert and keep on praying, and that we will keep on praying as the Lord's people, and that we will hold the line, that we will stand firm, and keep our eyes and our faith and our trust in you. Father, help us. Give us the strength that we need today. And as you're standing, I just want to invite everyone else to stand, Uh, and I want to pray together as we close out this Identity Crisis series uh, for each of us, as we do life, as we do battle, as we hold the line. Will you pray with me? God, we pray and we give you thanks for Jesus Christ and we thank you for the wisdom that comes from you and Father, it's our desire to know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe that power that we have that comes from you is your mighty strength that you exerted when you raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms. God, we know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. And God, we pray that it would be shown in us and help us and guide us as we live, as we live in this world for you. God, give us that power and that strength to live for you. Give us confidence in our identity in Christ to live for you, 
to hold the line and to stand firm. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.